Meteorologist Don Day joins me as we assess where we are at in our weather cycle and the outlook for 2023 across the country. Plus, we'll talk about what went wrong with the outlook for 2022 and what factors he attributes to missing the boat. And that was wrong. Um, that was wrong on many levels, um, you know, including myself. We, you know, we were looking at the data and we were relying fairly heavily on, on the modeling data, which was showing it weakening and going away. Also, concerns on where the money is going when it comes to weather research and how climate policy is being shaped by misguided advocates and politicians. Uh, in my business, you got to be more right than you're wrong. But unfortunately, you know, politicians, uh, people who are advocates for things, for some reason, they're given a pass on being spectacularly wrong. Weather Outlook for 2023 and more on this episode of The Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome you here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us on our program here today. This is episode 102, and we're glad to have you joining us. And I mentioned that mainly. I know there's several of you listening on the radio. We appreciate that. I know some have also already downloaded it uh, through the podcast provider. But if you want to go back and listen to it, a good way to do that is just search uh, workingranchradio.com is our website to get to our podcast site where you can find that. But also, if you listen to any streaming service out there that's also supplies podcasts, we're on that as well. So I just thought I'd pass that along for you. Um, now, for today's show, as I said in the opening, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us for our entire show. And I'd like to bring him in from time to time as we get a look at our long-term weather. And this show is no different than that. But I thought the timing of it would be very applicable, mainly because there has been a lot of talk the last couple of years, as we know, about La Nina, and it does look as though it is fading. But then on the horizon, we're looking at El Nino, and when will that take place? Well, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Don will give us his uh, his take on that in addition to... The timing of when all that happens and how that could affect some different portions of the country. And so I think that will be very relevant to us here in agriculture from a more outlook or immediate standpoint. Now, we're also going to be talking about some other elements when it comes to weather. And one of the things I always like to talk to him about are just some of the other fingers. Things like um, when we when we see some extreme weather events and how climate change then begins to become part of the conversation. So we're going to talk with him about that. Also, some of his concerns on where the money is going when it comes to weather research and in addition to where climate policy is being shaped and and some different elements of that. So I think you'll enjoy today's program. Again, meteorologist Don Day joining us for our entire show. And then, of course, we'll also have him in his regular segment as well as we get a more immediate look at about that 7, 10 to 14 day forecast for folks here across the country. Of course, as we regularly do in our show, the Captain Tim Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, will be in for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. So stick around for that. He'll be by in just a few moments. Looking at our bull sale calendar, Stockman Source 10th Annual Open House Bull Sale coming up February 4th. Now, I didn't know if you had an opportunity to listen to last week's show. It was an update on the waters of the U.S. Uh, rules change that have come down from the Biden administration. Also, we had a good conversation with both Jeremy Martin and Travis Chrisman with Stockman Source 
Bowl sale. That sale, February 4th, there at the ranch of Jeremy and Gail Martins. That's 35 miles southwest of North Platte. But it's also going to be on DV Auction at 3 p.m. Central. Uh, 100 head of coming two-year-old Sim Angus Bulls. Also 35 head of coming two Angus Bulls as well. Ranch raised. These are balanced bulls bred for low input but yield performance on the rail. If you want to find out more, go to their website. Also, there is a catalog there now as well. SSBeefBulls.com. That is the website for Stockman Source 10th Annual Open House Bull Sale coming up on February 4th. Well, last week when I checked in with the captain, he was just finishing up the March issue of Working Ranch Magazine. And I know you already have your current issue on hand, but uh, be looking forward to that one. By the way, if you do not have your subscription to Working Ranch Magazine, you can simply go to the website at workingranchmag.com and you can get your subscription started today. But now, though, let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne. He is publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Here's a headline. USDA seeks public comment on proposal to strengthen animal disease traceability regulations. Hmm, what are they considering here? The USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, APHIS, is proposing to amend animal disease traceability regulations and require electronic identification for interstate movement of certain cattle and bison. APHIS is also proposing to revise and clarify record requirements. These changes would strengthen the nation's ability to quickly respond to significant animal disease outbreaks. Justin, what do you think about this? Folks, get back to Justin on this. And I want to hear from our Canadian counterparts because they've had a national traceback system for, I don't know, maybe 20 years and uh, it wasn't always easy to make that happen. So if uh, any of you Canadians uh, have a story for us, you want to relate, maybe we can learn from it. Uh, it sounds like this thing is coming. This is a public um, comment that they're asking for. So uh, check with your uh, state cattlemen's association and let's stick with this, guys. Justin, back to you. All right, thanks, Captain. You bet. Let us know what you think. If you want to get reach out to me, my email address is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. And like the Captain said, a lot of the state associations and even the national associations have information out there about what will be affected, what won't be affected by some of these changes. I encourage you to go and look those up for yourself. Read those out. Now, I wasn't overly concerned with some of the stuff that I saw in that, but again, here's the thing. Um, the devil devil's going to be in the details or the devil's going to be in the interpretations by the bureaucrats on what how they how this comes down so it's definitely something you want to be aware of when you look at that i I, interestingly enough you know when we talk about some of this kind of stuff rfid tags of course are an element to this that has been in conversation and along those same lines the other day i was having a conversation with my neighbor about banks tagging some heifers and i was saying that i'm moving to using the rfid tags in the ears rather than the little metal clips and I could sense some hesitation on his part and I know a lot of it had to do 
with that and the RFID element that comes with that. But for me, I guess I was looking at it purely from a perspective perspective of, uh, of efficiency in, when we're working cattle. I run a lot of cattle for different folks and sometimes they lose the, the number tags that are in their ear and brands, you know, you can look at the brand and know who owns it, but yet you don't know who what cow that was. And so I've looked at RFID tags as a means of just being a little bit more efficient, effective of what we do here on our operation. But that may not be the case for everybody and i know there's some valid concerns by folks but back to what we were originally talking about uh the usda with these uh this public comment period that's out there on animal disease traceability regulations be sure to read that through and uh, take a look for yourself uh with that and if you again if you do have concerns please be sure to reach out to your state and your national associations that are representing you and also uh the, the your representatives and senators as well because they're the ones that are going to be looking at this as well and can help us out if we have some concerns on that well as we head to break here now i thought it was interesting some folks had posted some pictures the other day on facebook of new calves showing up now i know not everybody's calving and if you're not well then your old mother cows they're kind of in that time frame that's pretty important that third trimester period for cows pregnant cows is pretty important because if you want a good healthy calf well it's going to have to start with a good healthy mother in order to get the good the essential vitamins and minerals and nutrients into that calf so that when that calf hits the ground it's up and going and stays going throughout the throughout the spring and into the summer as well and uh, the folks at new generation supplements here's the deal they have a tub for that but i don't say that kind of flippantly as if they have one tub because here is the deal they know that the, that there are a lot of different types of cow herds out there that need different things in different parts of the country which is why at new generation supplements they have over a hundred formulas that, that will fit the different needs that are out there and if you want to find out more you can go to their website at newgenerationsupplements.com if you don't recognize that name you might recognize these names how about smart lick or feed in a drum and mega lick yeah that's the brand of products that that you'll find out there go to their website at newgenerationsupplements.com if you want to find out more new generation feeds they have a tub for that well stay with us when we come back we're going to get into our featured topic as meteorologist don day joins us as we take a look at our weather outlook for 2023 when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as we head now into our featured interview here today. And joining us for this show this week is no stranger, of course, as, as uh, meteorologist Don Day regularly joins us to give us a uh, weather outlook for the coming week or two out as we look across the country. Today, though, a little bit longer. And Don, first of all, thanks for joining us here. I, there's a lot of things that we want to get into here today, but specifically kind of looking ahead for spring, uh, into, the, into the winter, spring, and into summer, fall 
all as much as we can with with the information in front of us. And so I know one of the things, let's real quick kind of look back a bit. We know that we're coming a bit out of a La Nina and you had talked about we're going to be hitting that neutral phase and then looking in at, at potentially at some point down the road getting into El Nino. So where are we at with that from the from looking at the Pacific temperatures and the waters and where are we at from that cycle in our in our weather system? Well, we are in the third year of a, of a La Nina and these multi-year La Ninas, I can't stress enough um, how impactful they are. Uh, when you put more than two years of a La Nina together, it uh, is, is a real problem maker. It's a drought maker. It causes more extreme weather and a lot of craziness to go on. And right now we're, we're seeing it beginning to weaken. Now, I will tell you a year ago at this time, it was weakening. Mm-hmm. And one thing that happened last season as we went through the winter and then into spring of 2022 was we were um, somewhat optimistic that we were in a weakening phase. And then all of a sudden we got into June, July and August and La Nina roared back and said, I'm not done yet. I've got one more year. And what's interesting is if you go back historically and look at these Pacific cold and warm cycles, La Nina being a cold one in the tropical Pacific. We've only seen these multi-year La Ninas, multi-year meaning going more than two years. We've actually seen three of these in the last 30 years. Okay. But then you got to go back to the 1950s before that happened before. So we went from the, the mid to late 50s all the way up to the middle 90s before with only one of these events. But in the last 30 years, we've had three multi-year La Ninas. And that's important to point out because since we're learning more and more about La Ninas and their propensity to cause drought in the West and central areas of the United States, we've had three of these episodes. Um, so that that's really important. And trying to understand why we've had three in the last 30 years is something that needs a lot more study. Now, you might say, well, that's because of uh, global warming mm-hmm. and because that the earth is warmer. It's like, well, La Nina is when the sea surface temperatures out in the Pacific near the equator are colder, not warmer. So you can't answer that question of why we've had three of these in the last 30 years from from using that approach. Yeah. Well, and as, as you started answering the question, I was writing down another another thought I wanted you to talk about, and that was anytime we see extreme weather and it's I mean, it's almost like clockwork. You could almost just, you know, the next day uh, or the next weeks on the news cycle out there, you're going to see, well, all of the proponents of climate change coming out and say, well, this is why we're seeing extensive raining in California. And, and this is why we're seeing this, these different issues. And the climate change conversation always comes up when we have extreme weather. Which is interesting because the proponents of that say we shouldn't take a single weather event and claim that that counteracts whatever the argument is. So they'll say an Arctic outbreak or it being really cold for a month isn't a sign because, well, that's just the weather and that's that's just not climate. I call them climate ambulance chasers. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you have a hurricane, a flood, a tornado, a blizzard or whatever, they're there the next day making the claim that, well, see, see what happened. But there's a lot of problems with that. In Anybody that has any inkling of, of knowledge of weather and climate knows that We've had extreme weather since day one, and we will continue to have extreme weather. And 
what causes extreme weather is the weather. And we're just going to go through these and we go through these cycles. But I want to get back to your La Nina question because I don't think I answered it, Justin. Because, yeah, you know, you were kind of saying, like, where are we at? And and I mentioned a year ago, we were hopeful that maybe the summer of 2022, it would fade and it didn't, came back. And that was wrong. Um, that was wrong on many levels, um, you know, including myself. We, you know, we were looking at the data and we were relying fairly heavily on on the modeling data, which was showing it weakening and going away. Um, but one difference in, in the sense that we see going into this spring and summer season is why are we more confident than we were a year ago? Well, number one is having a four or five year La Nina we haven't seen before. Number two, we're seeing, so you know, from that, from an historical standpoint, we don't have any precedent. And number three is, number two rather, is, is that the depth of the water um, it's not only the surface of the water, but how deep is that cold water from the surface going down several meters? And we're seeing it really eroding and getting thinner and thinner. And we're also seeing some other things out in the Pacific uh, that is indicating that it's in its death throes. So we're pretty optimistic that uh, indeed La Nina will go to a neutral phase, which we call La Nada, probably by March or April. And if we do go into an El Nino, Technically speaking, if it's an official El Nino, which means those subtropical waters are a half degree centigrade above the 30-year average, well, then we can start talking about we're in an El Nino. But it may not be officially an El Nino until late summer or fall. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in a bit. I want to go back. When you talked about the fact that you that last summer, everybody kind of got it wrong with the fact that we weren't really, we did never really break out of that La Nina. As you look back in it, hindsight being 2020, were there some indicators we missed? What, what would you, if you had to go back and say, this is what I learned from last year, what would that be? Well, there's, there's two things, and, and both of these things could have been factors. And I think one thing that we need to go back and look at is I've mentioned that we've, we've had this three times in the last 30 years, mm-hmm. which means we've had it three times over the last three solar cycles. And what we do tend to see is a correlation between these really strong La Nina's happen after solar minimums. And one thing that the, the solar minimums that we've had over the last three decades have been very intense solar minimums, meaning long periods without sunspot activity and, and the, the solar influence may be something that is not inputted or well enough understood to be inputted into the modeling to take into account the strength of these La Ninas, because we do tend to see the most intense La Ninas right after a solar minimum. And that's when this last one got started uh, in 2020. The other thing, and this is, again, something that needs more study. So what I'm going to tell you here, uh, nobody's backed this up yet with with any um, solid data yet, other than some cursory examinations and of looking at the data. But that Tonga volcano that went off in the just east of New Zealand in January of last year, um, from all the data that we've been able to to look at, it's the biggest amount of water vapor that's ever been put into the stratosphere that's been observed, at least been observed by satellites and by being able to be measured. We don't have a huge database going back to other volcanic eruptions because we didn't have the satellites in place. But there is the possibility that the amount of water vapor and sulfur dioxide and other things that get thrown into the lower stratosphere from these volcanic eruptions may have played a role in kind of altering what was going on in that subtropical Pacific, possibly. We don't know that for sure, 
But I but somebody will say, well, thanks for your long range forecast. <laughs> but, you know, what what could go wrong? And, you know, it's like, well, well, one wild card is volcanic eruptions and one wild card uh, that can loom large is if it's a big one. And if it's especially at a lower latitude, it could have an impact. So those are the two things. One is, is I don't think we really have a good grasp on, on what the solar impacts could be in these Pacific oscillations and also possibly that Tonga volcano. Or number three, uh, we need to go back and work on our modeling <laughs> and find out exactly what went wrong and what what inputs and what variables did we not input correctly? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've actually heard and read some things about that volcano as maybe having some impact that we didn't yet uh, really realize at the time. So uh, interesting to hear your perspective on that as well. Well, folks, stay with us. My guest today is meteorologist Don Day. As we are talking weather through our entire show, he's joining us for that. When we come back, we're going to continue with him. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Keep your cow-calf herd data in a notebook. Keep it in the cloud with Performance Ranch and say so long to decoding handwritten notes. Performance Ranch is an easy-to-use app that simplifies record-keeping and makes decision-making easier. Keep track of herd inventory, monitor health records, and manage costs all from your iPad or iPhone. Group texting important herd data? Delete it. Use Performance Ranch instead. Go to performancelivestockanalytics.com and be the first to know when Performance Ranch is ready to launch. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is meteorologist Don Day as we're taking a little bit of an extended look into our weather, uh, not only forecast, but also just just some of the information. Uh, we talked a little bit in the last segment uh, about the, the timing of El Nino, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that more here again. But we also talked about what went wrong last year in terms of uh, the forecast that looked like we were going to break out of La Nina, and that didn't really happen. So we're going to continue on now. And uh, Don, one of the things you had mentioned, and I guess I feel right now with our data that we have for us that we're we're really making some big strides in having weather data that is providing a lot of useful information. I mean, not to say that for, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that weather forecasters and, and meteorologists wasn't helpful, but there's some really big strides happening, I feel. And as we continue to go in the next 20, 30, 40, 60 years or 100 years down, it's really going to get better. And so that's what I see. You talked a little bit ago about the modeling and maybe we need to go back and reevaluate modeling. How has the modeling changed and where do you see it going as we move forward well uh models need to be viewed as like a screwdriver or a hammer or a wrench in in your toolbox which means is that what the model tries to do with these models we talk about all these weather models all the time is they they try to represent the atmosphere what it will the atmosphere will do over time after the atmosphere is measured and measured, I mean weather balloons and satellites. We get a sampling of what the atmosphere is doing around the entire world. And then we we plug all that temperature, humidity, and pressure information into a very sophisticated computer program and say, all right, what's happening now? What's going to happen in the next 10 minutes? What's going to happen in the 10 minutes after that? Then what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes after that? And then we try to project it forward, and that's where you get all of the forecasts that you see on your smartphone or on your computer or uh, what you see at night on TV is, is that you get what the, what the model 
thinks the atmosphere will do over time. Um, and the models certainly have uh, gone through some big improvements. And, you know, computer modeling with weather got started in the 50s and 60s. But as processors got faster, it was really not until the 1980s and 90s before it got a lot more uh, in-depth. And there was there was a large body of people in academia that and government that really thought in the early 90s that by the year 2020, and we're just <laughs> past where there is now, that the, the, the art of weather modeling would be to the point where it would be very accurate. Uh, it would be able to tell you with a good amount of certainty what was going to happen over the next 10 days. Well, we've got it to about five. Five days, your accuracy is going to be pretty good with temperature and precipitation. Won't be perfect, but it'll, but it'll be okay. But for the last 20 years, penetrating that five days and trying to get it more accurate, we've kind of hit a wall, uh, even with the computers getting faster, which which means is we don't understand everything. It, once we get out past that 124-hour time frame, there's some things going on with the weather and variables that we, we think we understand that maybe we don't. Or you know what? There's another good possibility. There are some variables that affect our weather that we don't even know about. Mm -hmm. um, and until we do more research and, and we understand, uh, you know, you always hear the, the term, well, garbage in, garbage out. So if, if you if you have inputs and variables into that model that's not up to snuff or there's something wrong with it, well, you end up with garbage eventually. Mm -hmm. um, we went through a period of time and we're still kind of in this now for the last, I would say, 20, 30 years of weather forecasting where the models became so good in that five day period. And they decided to make them go out further 10 to 15 days that they're got to be an over-reliance on the modeling. And um, and I think it's a natural progression of, of kind of the science, and it's a natural progression, I think, of anything, which is you get a new tool, you get new technology, and then you basically sell your soul to it because uh, it, it could really be your friend on some days and your enemy the next. But the the ability right now for somebody at home to get on a computer and see these computer models is easy. It's free. Uh, you can see that. It's very enticing. But what I think what's good now is, is that we're starting to realize, and I think more and more uh, meteorologists are realizing this, that the model isn't reality. The model is a tool. And if you really want to make a good forecast and you really want to hone your skills, especially when folks need a 10, a 20, a 30, a 60-day forecast, mm -hmm. is you don't rely so much on the modeling, but you go back to kind of the basics, which is understanding the oceans, mm -hmm. understanding the sun, trying to understand things that we're not putting in the models. And, and I think that's where the key lies into better weather forecasting is what's not in the models, because what's not in the models could very, be very well why forecasts go wrong. Mm -hmm. As you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, so yeah, we have these models and, and they're doing, they're fairly decent three, five days out. And as you were talking about, we need to go back to some of the basics. And I and that's getting back to where I guess I felt uh, you've been able to always interject a lot of common sense in this. And in, in the fact that we're looking at cycles, we're looking at the knowns that we have now. And you say, uh, looking at some of those factors, that's what's going to be critical as we start to make these long-term forecasts. And so from your standpoint, do we have some good sources? I mean, I know you're providing that, but where else can are we finding, you know, 
some of that good forecasting or meteorology that should be taking place that helps us in agriculture? Well, there lies in part of the problem, and 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 this is where it kind of gets to be a socio-economic and and a political discussion because it's where are you putting your resources in in research, and um, you're not going to get uh, a meteorologist or an atmospheric scientist who's going to make a breakthrough in weather forecasting, let's say 15, 20, or thirty days in advance if you're not funding it. Um, you know, the, there is a tremendous amount of money going into what's going to happen in the next 50, 100, 200 years. Mm-hmm. And simply put, that's where the money is. Yeah. So if you're a researcher, uh, instead of, let's say, how are we going to make a better 15 day forecast for agriculture? There's no money there. I, you know, I may be mistaken, but but I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the money's there if you want to s- study nitrous oxide and its impact on the climate in the next 1,000 years. So it's kind of where are we putting our resources? Um, and in the field of meteorology and climate, the resources right now are going to things that are not, in my opinion, helping forecasters. And, and you know, but then then you're getting political and then you're getting into, you know, these these things to where, you know, if, if you if you want to affect and change that, you have to talk to the policymakers and you have to tell them what is most important for you as a producer. Is it more important for you as a producer to know what's going to happen in the year 2100 or next February? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, what I find interesting is that has there been any of this long term forecasting that's being funded that has actually come true in the time frame that they expected because we can all in fact just here recently we've had you know political folks on there saying you know climate change this climate change that's with our weather and some of them were real big advocates that by 20 you know certain well we've already passed some of these dates that we would be underwater so my my question is is all this money is going towards some of this long-term stuff but has any of it i mean do you know of anything that's actually hit the target and you know, well, in terms of you know big predictions like certain parts of the world being underwater, like the Maldives or Manhattan, or the fact that I believe in 2009 someone said there was never there wasn't going to snow again. Uh, yeah, you know, so there's there's been some spectacular failures for sure. Now I will tell you that that some of that some of that research should help in terms of of trying to make better weather forecasting, at least from a seasonal standpoint. But when you fixate yourself on the inputs being greenhouse gases, when we know very well that there's more to the story of weather than greenhouse gases, well, if you fixate on that, you're going to miss the, these ocean patterns. You're going to miss what changes the water temperature in the Pacific and the Atlantic. Why, why do these water temperatures change? And that then affects our weather. Um, you know, until we start asking those questions and putting some resources into it, we're not going to see big improvements in that 15, that 30, that 60 or 90 day outlook. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that's it's interesting because I just I mean, there's been some here recently. In fact, uh, former Vice President Al Gore just recently making news and being very uh, big proponent of, of things changing. And it's interesting because many of the claims that he had has has not really happened up to this date. And so you just wonder that's where all the attention and money's going and has anything actually hit the mark. So. 
No, no, not at all. You know, and and that's the thing is in my business, if I'm wrong, I hear about it right away. And, and, and the thing is, is that uh, in my business, you got to be more right than you're wrong. But unfortunately, you know, politicians, uh, people who are advocates for things, for some reason, they're given a pass on being spectacularly wrong. And I, and I, you know, I, I guess it's because there, it's viewed that the intentions are good. The the intentions are good. Therefore, you give them a little slack if if they're really far off and really long. But but the problem I have, and and I think, and this is something in the last couple of years, I you know when people ask me questions about this, is like it's like what you got to understand is that people who have been really wrong are the ones who are making policy decisions. And so, so are those policy decisions really based on good information? And if you're going to have a catastrophic outlook on everything and then base your policy on that, well, who ends up being affected by that the most? Well, you know, basically the the people, the little people, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 burdens that that are going to be put on agriculture. Just look at what they're doing on in Europe right now with nitrous oxide, carbon dioxide emissions, um, all of those things. The people making those policy decisions are some of the people who have been wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to come back with more with meteorologist Don Day. Uh, Don, you talked about it a little bit in the first segment about the timing of when we might think El Nino should come back. I want to get a little bit more into that as we, we just sort of go through the country and get a little bit of a maybe three to six month uh, outlook or what we think could be happening there when we come back in our next segment, folks. Just stay with us. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all gain smart mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which gain smart mineral formula is right for your heard, visit Gainsmart.com. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, meteorologist Don Day, as we take an extended look at our weather out there. We've had some great discussion, not only uh, about uh, the, the last year or so and some of the weather we saw, but also just uh, s- some other concepts in there with, in terms of cycles and various things like that. Uh, Don, a bit ago in the first segment, I believe you talked a little bit about as we've come out of La Nina or, the, or where we're at now currently, but let's look ahead maybe uh, the next three to six months maybe a little bit further out um i know we can't nail every anything down specifically but uh from the data that you're seeing and as you and i were talking off air a little bit i mean what we do know is you know the cycles of the pacific and the cycles in the atlantic and we know those kinds of things so based upon the the knowns that we have before us what's what are you seeing as el uh, when el nino would be uh, occurring um and, and what's i guess the probability of how that's going to play out well, one really encouraging aspect on on things maybe changing in terms of this three-year period that's brought so much drought is, is that what we've seen over the last month in California, 
with that onslaught of big heavy rains and big snows in the mountains of the west that's an indication another indication of things changing out in the pacific and uh, we have seen uh, that california moisture get pushed pretty far out into the plains uh in the in the usually one of the drier times of the year so that's one encouraging thing that we look at as we as we peer into spring and go into summer the last four to five weeks has been encouraging uh, encouraging in the sense that, well, maybe we're kind of going into this next cycle phase to where we don't have uh, a period of time where we put La Nina's back to back. La Nina will come back. It certainly will. Uh, but what you want to see, and you want to see that warm phase of that neutral La Nada situation, go to an El Nino for a couple of years then you probably will have a, a, a La Nina in between that. And then you'll probably have another El Nino cycle. Uh, that's what we kind of see over the next five or six years, which is a trend that is going to be more wet for the central and western United States. And uh, when you when you see this pattern historically, when you see the multi-year La Nina's end, you do have a spike in precipitation for the central and western areas of the United States. Mm-hmm. So I am optimistic that uh, the, the the Pacific Northwest, the Rockies, uh, what we've seen in California, the desert states, and then going into the, the parts of the plains. So we've got some areas of Nebraska and Kansas, uh, southeastern Colorado, the panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas uh, that are that are still really, really dry. And that goes up into parts of the Northwest Corn Belt as well. I think those areas are going to see uh, things turn around and be much better uh, than the last two or three years. Um, So for the central and western United States, I think producers are going to enter a a three-year period here of better precipitation, less in the way of extremes once we can say goodbye to this La Nina, because a La Nina is much more impactful uh, than an El Nino is, especially when there's more of them uh, when they're back to back. Question marks as we get into the Corn Belt and uh, parts of the eastern United States are certainly there Mm -hmm. Um, because the further you get from the Pacific, obviously kind of makes sense that the effects of the Pacific kind of fade out a little bit. And then you kind of take a real close look at what the Gulf of Alaska is doing and then the Atlantic for the central and eastern Corn Belt and then for areas into the east and southeastern United States. Now, there have been tendencies when you do go from a La Nina to an El Nino for parts of the southeastern United States, and this would maybe affect parts of the eastern Corn Belt to be drier than normal. So um, one thing you do see in a La Nina is you do tend to see the southeast as being more wet. Mm -hmm. Um, And you go to an El Nino, they tend to go drier. So it's kind of like pick your poison. Some areas are going to see improvements, um, and this will be most notable in the west, while some areas of the east, central, and southeastern United States well, they may start to see a little bit of a drier trend. Also, if you go into an El Nino by next late summer or fall, El Ninos are not very favorable uh, for a lot of hurricane activity. You still get hurricanes, but you don't tend to see as many during an El Nino cycle. Yeah. Well, and as you were talking about that and breaking down the different areas that could be wetter, could be drier based upon this change that's happening, uh, some of the, and you and I have both read the similar information on there about the concern of 
your and timing of when El Nino would happen and the timing in such a case that it could bring uh, that that dryness or drought. And they're just saying drought in general. But as you were saying, uh, you know, it could be more specifically the eastern side of that Corn Belt. So the timing of El Nino, that's going to be somewhat key to this. Is that I guess that's what I gathered from it. Yeah, no, timing is really everything because what you tend to see El Nino do is you tend to see El Nino bring heavier precipitation during late winter, spring, and the early summer. Um, when you get into a fall pattern, early winter weather pattern, uh, the impacts sometimes aren't as, aren't as big. So if the El Nino is late to start and its impacts of adding more water vapor to the air and, and making it easier to rain in many areas, if it doesn't get going full-fledged till oh, July or August or even September, well, then you've kind of missed that window for it to be able to help this next growing season. And, and I think the biggest concerns with that do rely in, in the Midwest. And I, and I think um, that is an area where there are more question marks. Um, if you would look at the, the most recent drought monitor conditions, um, improvements in California and the and some of the Rockies have been so extensive that the bullseye of the drought right now is is in the winter wheat country of of Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, southeastern Colorado, and and two across Nebraska and into northwest Iowa. Um, those are the areas that I think this spring will benefit the most from La Nina weakening. Um, I think the El Nino situation is going to be more impactful in terms of when it starts more towards the east. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about this as a little bit of a change in direction, but but it, it when we look at the snowpack that we've seen, you've talked about great improvements on the west coast coming off the Pacific, the moisture coming off the the Pacific west coast, and it's stretched out into the into the northern plains and some of the plain states. So the question is this. Are we shaping up to see some flooding this spring? Because that's the next thing. I know I know. Canada's had quite a bit of moisture in certain areas up there. And, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, Red River several years ago that flooded out of North Dakota and down. I mean, we've got, of course, the Missouri and the uh, Missouri River in there. You, you and I before talking about the Platte River in Wyoming. Um, so are we shaping up to maybe see some pretty significant flooding this spring? Well, I certainly think there's going to be that concern as we go into the uh, areas with that where the snowpacks have been really big. Um, and and I do think this will be more of a Western situation. And I do think uh, like the North Platte, uh, the South Platte, some of those river drainages there, you know, going back to that Red River Valley, you know, flooding we had, that was in 2019. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that wasn't really that long ago. Um <laughs> And, you know, there was too much rain uh, in Minnesota, North Dakota and South Dakota and parts of Iowa and everywhere else. Um, and, and that 2019 was our last really strong El Nino. So I think if we're going to have flooding concerns, it's going to be in the Mountain West this spring. Um, not to say that downstream into parts of maybe uh, Nebraska and those areas that some of those uh, rivers are going to go up. But by then, you're, you've got several dams mm-hmm. um, helping out. Uh, Red River Valley area, I don't see that as a big concern, at least this spring. Maybe 
spring of 24. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting because the, the snowpack is significantly different this year than it has been the last few years. So, Don, I want you to stay with us if you can for one more segment. That'll be a regular kind of long-term weather outlook if we can. I sure appreciate you joining us here today. So uh, stick around, folks. When we come back, meteorologist Don Day staying with us as we take a look at the next 10 to 14 days out for our weather across the country. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. This is our regular segment uh, where meteorologist Don Day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather. And if you've been joining us through the program, you know that he has been with us as we've been talking uh, a bit of a weather outlook across the country here for the next several months and just some good other weather information and dialogue as well. Don, as as we ta- as we look at the next 7, 10, 14 days out there, I know for us uh, where I'm at here in northeastern Wyoming, we've seen a little bit of a weather change. It had been pretty mild since the big cold that we had the end of December, but uh, we had already talked about that we were going to start to see some weather changing. It started to happen, and how does that look for the next 10 to 14 days out? Well, I think folks need to be ready for certainly a colder weather pattern for most of the lower 48 states as we go into the last week of January and as we go into early February. Um, there's some large-scale things going on. One thing is what we call a stratospheric warming event where uh, this, the high stratosphere over the polar regions warms up and expands and literally just pushes a lot of the colder air that's in the higher latitudes more south. And that's responsible for some of our bigger Arctic outbreaks. Now, we did not have this when we had that big Arctic outbreak in December that was so intense. Uh, But if you go back and look at the last two Februarys, 2020 was that big Mm -hmm. Arctic outbreak that hit Texas and caused so many problems. Mm -hmm. We also had a big Arctic outbreak uh, that wasn't as intense, but pretty impressive in 2021 in February. I think we're going to see that again. Mm -hmm. Um, Odds are pretty good that uh, for most of the nation from the Rockies East, especially in the middle part of the country, I think the Intermountain West, the, the Dakotas, the Western High Plains, the central states are going to see a colder than average period from the last week of January. And I think we're, we're probably going to go into early March with this. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do think the, the real cold won't get into the southeast or the east coast, at least not hold there. I think the, the colder weather will be bottled up right in the nation's midsection. So the the stretch of weather when California was getting all those storms. Pacific air flooded a lot of the nation um, from just after Christmas till just here recently. And that really skewed temperatures. And I think a lot of folks forgot about (laughs) how cold it was in December. Uh, And they were thinking, I I did see several tweets. Oh, winter's over. Winter's over. I'm like, oh, my goodness. No, it's kind of like intermission. Um, So do be ready for some colder weather. And, And I do think for 
for livestock interests in parts of the Northern Plains and parts of the Rockies, there's going to be some rough stretches of, of colder than average conditions. And we've got some places um, there's a lot of snow on the ground yeah. in some areas. Um, so, you know, that, that is going to be impactful as we go into. So um, there's, there's plenty of winter left. <laughs> Um, and I think we're certainly going to see that late January through the month of February. When you talk about this change that's happening, it's going to be a little bit colder than average or than what we've seen. Uh, much moisture with it. I know we've the, some of the moisture that's come with the snow has been pretty good here lately. But as we see these colder temperatures, will there be a lot of snow with what we're seeing across the country? Usually in February, you don't tend to get the really big snows that you get towards that March and April time frame, at least when you get away from the oceans. Um, you know, the eastern seaboard's kind of a, of a different story. However, you will have more frequent snow events. So while you may not have, you know, one big system, you have several small to moderate sized systems when you get into this colder pattern. So there will be some snow coming your way. And you just kind of look at what's happened here recently, uh, the amount of snow and moisture that fell across parts of uh, Wyoming, Colorado, and especially Nebraska and the Northwest Iowa, this most recent storm, there were some areas that got over two inches of water. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't happen very often in January. So that's the, so the January is all really off to a good start in some of those areas. But I know there's some areas that have barely gotten anything in this pattern, uh, Montana, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Northern Minnesota, Southern Canada, while California was getting all these big storms, they were watching all that moisture stay to the west and south. But those areas I just mentioned, they're going to get back into the act. Don't worry, we haven't forgotten about you. We're going to come back and make it snow and get colder in those areas too. Mm-hmm. Before we get too far here, I know I always bring up the fog forecast deal. I just mentioned it to you off air just a little bit ago, and that I'm showing April. I'm showing April to be pretty wet for us here in, the, in this part of the country. Yeah, and it, it, again, going back and historically looking at when we've seen similar patterns with a fading La Nina, um, we do tend to have colder and wetter springs. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have a colder and wetter uh, spring, you're going to have uh, events that you're seeing now in April. Well, I think you may be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, we need grass to grow too. So it's uh, we just f- figure out a way to manage through it. So Don, I sure appreciate you joining us here for our show here today. Uh, a lot of insight. I sure appreciate your take because um, as I said before, and there's a lot of common sense to some of this and, and I and I've always in, liked the fact that while you are, are looking ahead and you're providing forecast information, you're really going back and looking at some of that data to provide good sound information. So I always appreciate your take on it and, and, uh, and appreciate you being a part of Working Ranch Radio Show. I uh, enjoyed it. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day uh, joining us here today for our entire show. His website, dayweather.com. And I just can't uh, express again how appreciative I am for him being a part of Working Ranch Radio Show. You know, I've told folks this story. Years ago, I was in in ag media in Billings, Montana. And it it was interesting because one of my jobs at that time was talking agriculture news and the markets. And we always thought we had a lot of pretty valuable jobs 
but the thing, the the person that people wanted to hear most, though, was the guy that was talking on ag weather. And so I find that uh, no matter what we have going on here in agriculture on issues and various topics that we bring to light here on the Working Ranch Radio Show, weather is also something that here in agriculture we deal with on a daily basis. And so I like to have that as a part of our show and appreciates Don's perspective on that and uh, appreciate him being a part of what we have going on here. Again, his website, as he does kick out a daily video podcast, and I know sometimes it might be a little specific to some areas of the region, but nevertheless, it is talking uh, nationally, and I encourage you to go and listen to his daily video podcast. You can find it by going to his website at dayweather.com, or you can also go to YouTube and search Dayweather as well and find it there. Well, stay with us when we come back. We're going to put a wrap on this week's show, and I'll give you an idea of what we're going to be working on on future shows here of the Working Ranch Radio Show. We'll be back after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Don't keep your cow-calf herd data in a notebook. Keep it in the cloud with Performance Ranch and say so long to decoding handwritten notes. Performance Ranch is an easy-to-use app that simplifies record-keeping and makes decision-making easier. Keep track of herd inventory, monitor health records, and manage costs all from your iPad or iPhone. Group texting important herd data? Delete it. Use Performance Ranch instead. Go to performancelivestockanalytics.com and be the first to know when Performance Ranch is ready to launch. Well, before we talk about what's going to be on tap for upcoming shows here on the Working Ranch Radio Show, I did want to let you know that here in a couple of weeks, going to be headed south down to New Orleans, Louisiana. Myself and I know a lot of folks from all across the country will be headed down for the 2023 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show that's going to be Wednesday, February 1st through Friday, February 3rd. Just quickly looking at some of the things on the schedule in that uh, general opening general session, Taylor Sheridan, he's the right of the hit series Yellowstone 1883 1923 he will be the speaker in that opening general session of course the one I'm looking forward to will be uh, to hear from cattle facts of what they perceive to be for the 2023 outlook and following years as well so uh, just a couple of the things many things that will be taking place down at the 2023 cattle industry convention be sure to stop through the trade show say hello I will be at the working ranch magazine booth that's where you'll find me stop in say hi and also you can grab the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine while you're there as well. But if you want to find out more about the 2023 Cattle Industry Convention, go to the website at convention.ncba.org. Again, that is going to be in New Orleans, February 1st through the 3rd. Hope to see you there. Now, here are some of the topics that we are working on for upcoming shows on the Working Ranch Radio Show, and that is raising kids on the ranch. There's a lot of different factors that come into that in terms of compensation and 
various elements. We're going to be exploring that a little bit. Also, things to consider when you're considering moving your ranching operation to a geographically different area. And also another topic that we're getting into is DNA testing. I've talked about it before, but I think there's more applicability to the our industry and especially for those of us in the commercial side of things. We're going to be talking about that in upcoming shows, so be sure to tune in here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of me about something you heard here today, a question you might have on this show or previous shows or an idea for a topic, please feel free to send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com or you can send me a text at 307-363-COWS. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine branded number one by America's Ranchers. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. Thank you.